when he first met these guys, right? And they go, okay, so they throw the net on the other side of the boat, and of course, they're hauling in tons of fish. And Peter immediately goes, my Lord. He forgets, just for a second, he forgets everything he's been stressed about. He puts his coat on, and he dives into the water and swims to the shore to leave the other guys to do the work. Classic Peter, right? But he doesn't care. Now he's soaking wet Peter. He's conflicted Peter. He's guilty Peter. He's uh, feeling all of these different emotions. Jesus invites the disciples over. He has some food cooked for them already. They share a meal because this is a physically resurrected Jesus, right? They share a meal. And then after they share a meal, Peter knows it's time to have that conversation. You know what I'm talking about? That conversation. The one that he's been dreading. But the one that he knows if he doesn't have, he'll never have peace. And so it's in this backdrop, it's in this context that Jesus addresses Peter. And it's Jesus' last personal lesson to Peter. And you know, last lessons matter. If you're a teacher, the last lesson that you give your students is important. This is Jesus' last lesson to Peter. And Peter, in many ways, is going to take up the mantle. He's going to, in many ways, sort of take this position um, of leading the disciples. And Peter needs to be prepared for that. So let's tune into this conversation. I just want you to see about four or five things here that Jesus wants Peter to learn as we go through this narrative. First thing that, well, let's just read it. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now note that. We'll come back to that. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You guys are familiar with this passage, right? He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You're omniscient, right? You, you have all knowledge. Do you, you know that I love you? And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What an interesting little encounter that, that Peter's having with Jesus. Now, now, knowing the backdrop of that conversation makes it way more interesting. Because understanding that Peter, in his mind, is questioning his love for the Lord. He's questioning his usefulness. And Jesus has this way, like a surgeon, of just, just getting right to the point. So what is Jesus trying to press on here with Peter? Let's see if we can unpack it. The first point here is super obvious. The main thing's the plain thing, and the plain thing's the main thing, okay? The first point you need to catch in this text is super obvious, and that is that if you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. So if you want to write it down, if you love me, love what I love. That's point number one. If you love me, love what I love. Jesus is trying to get Peter to see the value that he places on what? The church. His sheep. He's saying, Peter, if you love me, love my sheep. Now, have you ever really liked somebody but hated their spouse or their kids? You can't stand them? How does that go? How does that work? I'll tell you right now, you want to be my friend, you better like my family. You better like my wife. You better like my kids. You can't possibly not like my wife and kids. But I'm just saying, this is fiction. Okay, If you didn't, you and I would have issues. I hear a lot of Christians criticize the church. And there's nothing wrong with critiquing the institutionalization of the Christian movement. Okay? But there is something wrong with criticizing 
those whom Jesus loves. And I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. What is the last lesson that Jesus wants Peter to get? Peter, love my bride. I gave my life for her. She is so valuable. Peter, love my body. That's you guys, the church. Cherish it. Keep it. So if you love me, love what I love. But there's another lesson here that Jesus wants Peter to learn, and that is if you love me, lead how I lead. If you love me, Peter, lead how I lead. Now, I want you to see here is that Jesus doesn't call Peter to be the man. He doesn't call him to be the supreme leader. He doesn't call him to any kind of position. Now, write this down. He doesn't call him to a position. He calls them to, him to a posture. Not a position. He calls him to a posture. He calls him to this life called shepherding. You know, we're so used to this idea. We've seen all the cute pictures of Jesus with a lamb over his shoulder. And we just, the idea of shepherding just feels really normal to those that have been churched in church culture. But, but you've got to think about the fact that, that shepherding was kind of an odd idea for Jesus to pick as the way that he would self-disclose his leadership style. But that's what he picked. I want you to think about what a shepherd is really quick because this is what Jesus calls us to be. Okay, what is a shepherd? A shepherd, first of all, is a lifestyle job. You know what I mean by that? It's not the kind of job that you clock out and clock in. A shepherd means that you're on 24-7. A shepherd means that you are responsible for those sheep regardless of whether it is within your work hours or not. And so Jesus is calling Peter, hey, care about my sheep. Make it part of your life, which is how Jesus shepherded, right? The other thing you need to think about with shepherding is that shepherding is a lowly job. It's not something that people wanted to sign up for. Shepherds were despised. By many people. They were kind of vagabonds. They were kind of traveling. They lived out in, out, out in the woods. I don't know the woods there, but they lived out in the wilderness, I should say. Um, you know, they, they probably didn't get a bath very often. These guys were known uh, for, for not always being the most trustworthy of individuals, which, by the way, is why it's so interesting that they were the first to witness the birth of Jesus, because God loves to use the least likely people to be his witness, right? But regardless, so, so this is a lowly position. This is not sort of a, a, a Pharisee or, or, or something like that that's held high in culture. This is a lowly position, a lowly job. But also shepherding means caretaking. That's what it means. You know, the best example I can think of, is, is, of shepherding is moms. You know what moms do? You know what moms do? They work their tails off. They feed. They change. They clean. And you know what's funny? Is sometimes it's the most discouraging thing you could ever do because you don't always see results. You just do it every day, every day, every day. You clean the bathroom, it gets clean, or it gets dirty right afterwards, right? You feed the kid, the kid's hungry two hours later. My kids are hungry every 10 minutes, right? You just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. This is the idea that Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter. Okay, and, and you might write this down. Shepherding means caretaking, not wave making. Shepherding means caretaking, not wave making. See, Peter was a wave maker, right? And I can relate with that. Like, I want to be the wave maker. Like, I want to be a mover and a shaker, and I want to see things happen. I want to see Grant's past just be permeated with gospel presence. I want to see people get saved. I want to see a movement happen. But the funny thing is, is the last thing Jesus takes time to point out to Peter is none of that. Shepherd, my Sheep, day in, day out, feed, 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 feed. Faithfulness, that's what Jesus calls 
Peter too. You know, I think there might be a little bit of a subliminal character flaw that Jesus is pointing out in Peter. Peter, you got charisma for days, bro. <laughs> you can, you'll jump out of the boat. You're the guy. You'll lop off ears. Okay, but just calm down and take care of my lambs. Why does he use lambs once, sheep another? I think it's because he wants Peter to understand even the ones that you don't like, even the ones that are, that are kind of hard to deal with, even the ones you need to pick up and carry, even the ones that don't feel like they're contributing to the flock, still love them. That's the heart of Jesus. And he tells Peter to do this because that's what he did. That's how he shepherded. Shepherding means, you might write this down, shepherding means stewardship, not ownership. You notice Jesus doesn't say, Peter, shepherd our sheep. Doesn't say that. You notice he doesn't say, Peter, shepherd your sheep. What does he say? Peter, if you love me, shepherd my sheep. They're not yours. They're not yours. Shepherding means stewardship, not ownership. It doesn't mean that you get to own them. They're his sheep, and you are a hired hand. You know, it's interesting. I'm not going to take you to look at this passage, but when we were doing some elder um, training and stuff like that, we were looking at all of the places in the New Testament where the word shepherd is used. Because that word continues on as, as Paul can, calls men into this position of eldership. And he calls them to shepherd. But you know what's funny? It's almost always a verb. And you know what's funny here? Je- Jesus is calling Peter to a verb, not a noun. Jesus is not establishing a pope. Do you understand what I mean by that? This is not a proof text for the papacy. Jesus is not like, you're the new guy, Peter. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, go shepherd. In the church, we don't have shepherds. We have people that either shepherd or don't. As a Christian, you have a call to shepherd. And you know, there's only one time, listen, this is interesting. Uh, there, there is something called an archbishop. I'm not trying to pick on the Catholics. I'm just saying, okay. Have you ever heard of the archbishop? It's sort of the supreme bishop. You know where they get that term? It's from a great term called archipoemen. Poemen is shepherd. Archipoemen. You think, oh, okay, that's fine. That term is only used one time in the New Testament. You want to hear it? It's only used one time in the New Testament. Let me pull out my references here. And it is used in 1 Peter 5.1. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, verb, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but listen, but being examples to the flock, listen, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's the chief shepherd? It's not the archbishop. It's not the lead pastor. It's not the guy leading the mega thing. It's not the district manager for a denomination. No, it's Jesus. There is only one archbishop. There is only one chief shepherd, and it's Jesus. They're his sheep. Peter, if you love me, take care of my sheep. My sheep. Listen to me. I want to put a point on this, okay? Christian maturity looks like caring for the sheep. Christian maturity does not mean you have really good attendance on Sundays, that you're really good at listening to sermons, that you're really good at listening to podcasts, that you're really good at having fridge magnets with Bible verses on them. Those things are all fine. Christian maturity is when you take ownership for the faith of another individual. How do I know that? Because Jesus, after three years, 
He graduated his disciples into what? Disciple making. That was the graduation. They went from intern to vocation. And the intern to vocation transition was now you go take people and make them disciples like I did. So the problem is in the church, we've made mature Christianity being really good at listening to sermons. That's not Christian maturity. Christian maturity is when you say, I will take ownership. You know, it's funny, there's a thing that happens, uh, and I'm old enough now to start to see the cycle happening. There's a thing that happens um, when a boy has a child. He becomes a man. There's just something about having a kid that grows you up. Why? Because you're not just thinking about wiping your bottom and brushing your teeth and feeding yourself. Now you're thinking about that kid and all of a sudden you realize that life's not about me. It's about this kid. And then you have three kids and four kids and man, it just gets crazy, right? And you really realize life is not about you. Now, if you don't have kids in here, I'm not saying you're immature. I'm just saying that part of maturing a lot of times is when you take ownership for others. And that's true of our Christian maturing process. And that's what Jesus is trying to get Peter to get here. Peter, I want you to grow up. And the way that you grow up is by taking ownership. Now, there's one more point here I want you to see in this little interaction. And this is a little bit harder to see, but I I actually think it's the main point that Jesus is trying to get to Peter here, okay? I think it's the main point that Jesus is trying to to get to Peter here. There's two things that that, uh, that Jesus says or that Peter responds that I think tip the hand a little bit to what exactly Jesus is trying to get at here. The first thing I want you to see in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, listen, do you love me more than these? Now all the commentators disagree because that's what they do. They get paid to do that. All the commentators disagree about what more than these means. Some people think it's fishing. And if you're going to preach a sermon about how you need to follow Jesus rather than follow the world, then that's great. But there's nothing wrong with fishing. Okay? Uh, I don't think that's what he's getting at. Some people think uh, more than these means, do you love me more than you love the disciples? Well, that doesn't really make sense. I don't think that was ever a downfall of Peter that he loved the disciples more than he loved Christ. Here's what I think this means. I think when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's saying, Peter, it's kind of pushing on a nerve a little bit here, but Peter, uh, I know you think that you love me more than they love me. I know you think that you love me the most. Nobody loves me like you, right, Peter? Peter, do you love me more than anyone else? And I think Peter in that moment had a little bit of a sinking feeling because a week ago he probably would have said yes. But I think Peter in the back of his mind says yes a little trepidatiously because he remembers what he just did a week ago. (laughs) Maybe I don't love you more than they love you. See, Peter had a lot of self-confidence before the night of the crucifixion. This is a very different Peter now. And make no mistake, he knows that the reason Jesus is bringing this up is because of what he did the night of the crucifixion. How do I know that? Well, notice verse 16, or 17. He said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? Because he said to him the third time. What is it about three? He denied him three times. What is it about the third time that instantly makes Peter go, oh, I denied him three times. And what Jesus is doing, like a loving surgeon, he's sticking the scalpel right into the cancer. And he's trying to pry it off. Peter, listen to me, Peter. I know you think you got this, but you don't. 
My friend Rick Boya puts it this way. He says, you know, a lot of times we have faith in our faith rather than faith in Jesus. I think this is what Peter's dealing with here. Peter had a lot of faith, but it wasn't faith in Christ. It was faith in himself. Misplaced self-confidence. And Jesus is trying to illuminate that graciously to Peter. The story goes on. Look at this. After Jesus asks him these three questions in verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now this is super interesting because after Peter answers, Jesus launches into this revelation about what's gonna happen to Peter, how he's gonna die. Why would Jesus do that? Well, you know, he did that before with Peter, except it wasn't about how he was gonna die. What was it about? It was about him rejecting Christ. Remember that? Jesus gave Peter some revelation before. He said, Peter, you're going to reject me three times before the cock crows. And now Jesus is giving Peter a different diagnosis. He's saying, Peter, you will be crucified like me, for me, and you won't fail this time. This time, Peter, you'll get it right. Why? What changed? Why is the Peter in 20 years or however many years it was when he um, got, got put on the cross or, or, or martyred, why was he so different then than he was before. I would suggest this to you. I think it's that, G- that Peter learned how to have faith in the love of Christ rather than faith in his own resolve. I think that's what's going on here. I think that's what Peter learned. 1 John four eighteen. there is no fear in love. You know why Peter denied Christ? He was afraid. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. The Romans were terrifying. He was afraid. Fear was the driving force, the core value in that moment for Peter. And John says in his epistle, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been, what? Perfected in love. Listen to this. We love because he first loved us. I think the difference in Peter that we see post ascension, post-resurrection, is that Peter started living out of the love of Christ for him rather than his love for Christ. That's what changed. He stopped having faith in faith, and he started having faith in the gospel. Let me put a point on this. What do you reach for when you're lacking assurance? What do you reach for? Is it performance? I guarantee it is, because that's what I do every day. I go, Lord, how are we? Well, you know, I did read this morning. I had a profound thought about the Lord, and uh, I didn't uh, scream at that guy when he drove by and uh, cut me off in traffic. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pastor, you know, so points. If, if that's the thing that you reach for when you're kind of asking the question, are me and the Lord good? Um, I don't think it's damning, but I think it's damaging. Because what it does is it starts to make train your, your brain to think of what you do as your proof for how much you're loved. Now, I'm not saying you don't examine fruit in your life. I'm not saying that you can't gauge your health by your fruit. But listen, when you are questioning, when you're feeling lack of assurance, reach for the gospel. Don't reach for what you did. Don't reach for your report card. Reach for his love. And that's why I believe that 1 Peter 
4.12, listen to what Peter says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Listen to this. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. Why was Peter able to be martyred in the way that he was? Because he saw now suffering not as something to be avoided like he did the night of the crucifixion. He saw uh, suffering as an opportunity to glorify God. He wanted to become part of the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, he grew up. He had this transformation. He had this change. So my third point is, if you love me, live from my love. If you love me, Peter, live from my love. Now, one more point here. Verse 20. Peter, and this is so funny, you guys. This is so funny. I love this. Peter turned while he's having this profound conversation with the physician of physicians, the king of kings, the chief shepherd. Oh, he's, he's got Jesus right in front of him, and he's, Jesus is sharing revelation about his future and what's going to happen. And Peter does classic Peter. He goes, squirrel. Peter turned. Why, why is he turning? He turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John following them. And I love this because John's back there with his, like, clipboard. And he's writing all this down. But I'm so thankful. That's how we know about this story. We know this story because Peter, or John wrote it down. So John's back there listening, and Peter hears a, a, twig, bar, uh, a twig break or whatever, and he turns around and he's like, well, what about John? What are you going to do with this guy, man? What about John? He's, what about the one who leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Could you be a little more direct, Jesus? I just don't, I don't understand what you mean. Oh, it's very direct. Don't worry about John. And this is funny. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, just gossip. Telephone happened, right? Everybody, did you hear John's not going to die? He's going to live until Jesus returns. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Of course, John did outlive them all, right? Here's my last point. Jo- Peter, if you love me, just look at me. Just look at me, Peter. Don't worry about John. You know, Peter had this, he had this squirrel problem, right? Like, he was, he was on the boat, and the waves were coming, and he sees Jesus walking out there. And in classic Peter, he's like, let me come out to you. It's awesome, charisma, great. He steps out onto the waves, and he's doing fine, and he's, he's somehow miraculously floating. And what happens? He starts to see waves coming up over the side, and he starts to look at the waves from side to side, and he begins to sink. This was, a, this was a character issue for Peter. He was distractible. Jesus is pressing, the great physician, right? He's pressing on this idea. He said, Peter, just look at me. Just look at me. Don't worry about John. Guys, this is just one of the biggest things that we struggle with, isn't it? We look at the lives of others. We look at the callings of others. We look at the ministries of others. We look at the giftings of others or the gifts of others or the families of others or the spouses of others and we go, if I had their life, then I could really live. Then I could really serve the Lord. Guys, listen, God's not an idiot. He gave you the life you have. Now, you may have made some poor decisions that have made it a little harder, and he's providentially working things together for your good, but the reality is, is that God gave you the life that you have. The season that you're in right now is exactly where he wants you. Just look at him. Keep your eyes on him. If you love me, Peter, just look at me. 
True joy and true mission is rooted when your eyes are on the destination, not on the path. Doesn't matter whether you like the way things are going in your life right now. What matters is that he's called you to walk that line. Keep your eyes on him. It's a very basic application. So this is this interaction that Jesus has with Peter. Now, what do we do with this? Let me just end. I got three minutes. Let me just end with a couple of pastoral comments, okay? Because I know that in the beginning of this sermon, when I said, have any of you ever felt like you failed so bad that you're not useful? Or have you, any of you ever felt like you failed so bad that maybe you don't really love Jesus? I know some of you felt like, yes, I feel like that right now. So I need to, t- I need to, I need to say a few things for you from this passage that you need to hear. First of all, how can I know if I love Jesus? How can I truly know? Well, obviously Jesus offered some, some uh, things there for Peter to consider, but how can I know if I truly love Jesus? Okay, write this down because it's catchy. True Christianity is not perfection, it's progression. It's not perfection, it's progression. But true Christianity has progress, okay? You grow. You change. Sometimes it looks like three steps forward, two steps back. And you know what's funny is when you first get saved, it just feels like everything falls into place right away. And it's not everybody's story, but many of you it is. You first get saved, you're just on fire, you're excited. And then all of a sudden, some of the, as Levi calls them the tinglies, you know, go away. And some of the sort of the goosebump feeling moments go away. And you start to feel like, man, do I even love Jesus anymore? Yeah, you do. You're growing. You're maturing. Sometimes God turns down the rewards a little bit so that you seek him for the right reasons. Okay? If you're growing, then you're a believer. If you're growing, you have a believer. Now, I want to make a really, really, really sharp point with this right here, okay? True Christianity is about, I'm going to coin the term, are you ready? Failing faithfulness. Failing faithfulness. You say, what is failing faithfulness? Peter. Peter is failing faithfulness. You know, there's two characters the night of the crucifixion of Christ. Two sinners, two failures, two screw-ups. One of them was named Peter. The other one was named Judas. Which one did a worse thing? I mean, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's pretty bad. Peter denied Christ publicly by swearing in order to make him appear like a more sinful person, someone that had nothing to do with Christ, completely denied any connection with Jesus. Which one's worse? I'd say that both did pretty bad things. What's the difference between the two? One came back, and one didn't. Why? Because one of them was Jesus' sheep, and the other one wasn't. What's the difference? Repentance. It's not failing. Failing doesn't keep you from being a Christian. Not coming back to Jesus is what proves whether you're a Christian. How do I know if I'm really a Christian? You endure. That's what the Bible says. You endure to the end. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. You eat crow. You stick your foot in your mouth and you go, Jesus, I'm an idiot. Forgive me. You throw yourself on the mercy seat of the cross You press into the kindness of God and the faithfulness and the patience of God and you say, Lord, I'm gonna bumble and fumble all the way to the end. And you know what's funny? When you first get saved, you feel like you got it together, but in reality, you don't. You just don't know how sinful you are yet. Part of maturing is realizing just how sinful you really are. You know what Peter's last words were in his epistle? Grow in grace. 
That's not a young, cocky, self-righteous man. That's a broken, humble, grace-filled man who's failed and failed and failed. You know, Peter, we have more records of him failing. Paul the Apostle had to call him out, right, for being a racist. (laughs) Peter! And you know what Peter did? He humbled himself. He took the rebuke. That's what Christianity is. Can I just just speak to you for a minute? Just don't stop getting up. Don't stop believing the gospel for yourself. And what about the second question? Can Jesus use me in light of my failures? Because it's not, okay, yeah, I'm forgiven. There's grace for me. I get that. But can I be useful? Or am I just kind of always going to be bound by this thing I did or these things I did or this pattern that I developed or whatever? Because once you become a Christian, it's not like you stop sinning. You struggle till the day you die. You're going to struggle with sin. What do I do when I fail? Is there, is there no use for me when I fail? Let me answer that question. The answer is yes, there is use for you if you are willing to let him change you. If you don't want to be changed, you will be rendered useless. There is a difference between a Christian that says, I'm in process. Christ is changing me. I am repenting. Versus the Christian that goes, eh, we're all flawed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're all sinners, right? So I'll just keep living with this person. I'll keep looking at that thing. I'll keep talking this way. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That's a very different thing. The Christian goes, yes, I sin. I struggle with sin. But the reality is, is that God is changing me. Sometimes over tens, twenties, thirties of years, 30 years. And the second thing and the more important thing I would say is this. Can Jesus still use you in a lot of your failures? Yes, the answer is yes. Jesus can use your failures, failures as his greatest tools. Your brokenness, the muck of your life, is the most useful thing that God can use if it has been saturated in grace. If you have actually believed the gospel for it. And that's the key. You can keep that thing hidden secret, or you can let the gospel interact with it, and then it can be used as a testimony of grace to help others that are in that place. I had a dear friend and a pastor and someone that I looked up to and led had an extreme moral failure a year ago, and you know what was the most disappointing thing about that? It wasn't the sin. It was the fact that he didn't believe the gospel for himself. He disappeared. That's what disappointed me. You will fail. Will you come back? Will you let that thing be a testimony of grace? Will you let that thing transform you? Will will you let that thing set others free? Now let me just make one more point and I'm done. I don't think it's any accident that the moment Jesus chooses to have this conversation with Peter is when he calls him from the bank and tells him to throw the net on the other side of the boat. Why does he do that? I don't think it was to make a point about how fishing's bad and blah, blah. I don't think that's the point. I think Jesus picked that moment because that was the beginning. You know what you're like when you first get saved? You're just overwhelmed by grace. You're just like, wow, grace. I'm just forgiven. I'm forgiven. That was the moment when Jesus called Peter. Peter, you follow me. And Peter goes, what? You want me? Jesus comes to Peter, uh, Peter who's feeling frustrated and, 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 and faithless. He picks the moment that brings Peter's mind back to the beginning. And I want to encourage you guys this morning that if you're struggling, go back to the beginning. 
Go back to that moment of simplicity when you realized that you were a sinner before a wrathful, righteous God and then Jesus spent his blood to forgive you. And now you are a free, adopted son and daughter filled with the Holy Spirit, with his seal, with heaven as your hope and future. Go back to that. You know, we complicate things, don't we? Christianity gets real complicated real fast. Go back to the beginning. What was the moment that Jesus said, throw your net on the other side of the boat? Go back to that moment. Remind yourself of that moment. There's a simplicity to it. Would you guys stand with me? Mike, why don't you come back up? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, this conversation that was recorded between you and Peter was specifically for him, but has application for us. And in the same way, Lord, that you interacted with Peter's faithlessness, in the same way that you interacted with Peter's uh, self-righteousness, self-esteem, Lord, would you interact with us now? Interact with our hearts. May we not be professional sermon listeners. May we be Christians that take the word and shine a light on our heart to see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord. Would we cast ourselves at the feet of your mercy? Lord, I know there's people in here this morning that are wrestling to believe grace for themselves. Lord, I pray for openness. pray for confession. pray for freedom from sin's hold. Lord, make us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, make us free this morning. Make us free like Peter was the day he had that conversation with Jesus. Lord, we love you, God. We want to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.